you know you can take what happened two ways. You can say it's either a man who's been out of practice and been away from home too long and doesn't know what he's doing and is nervous and, and uh, got, forgot about how things work. Or you can say it was a guy who's been waiting for three months to talk to his congregation again. He's so full and ready to go that he couldn't wait to get up here. Actually, you can take it both ways and you're both right, so. <laughs> Open your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read some verses this morning that are probably very well known to you. While you're turning, I invite you to consider uh, what I think was, um, maybe this is what got me in trouble because I started thinking about this and I got a little too excited and came up here ready to preach before it was my time. But I, what I think was probably the the the... the the most precious phrase in all of that sharing time that we had, which I loved sharing time, by the way. Uh, I sat here last week. I was actually going to come up last week and said what I did this morning. And then we started sharing time, and I just sat there, and I started crying because I'm like, man, I, I missed the people I go to church with. And, and I wanted to just sit there and soak in hearing from you all. Um, but the most precious phrase, I think, that came out of all of sharing time was just a little phrase that Jessica used when she was up here. She marveled at the change that was made in three days' time in this lady's life, and I immediately thought to myself, you know what? Three days changes everything, doesn't it? Because that's the history of the world. Three days changed everything. Right? Three days changed everything. To a man who claimed that he was the son of God and was scoffed at and was rejected and was killed and by many accounts lay helpless in the grave, to a man who rose triumphant, a God who rose triumphant out of that grave and said, the chains of death have been loosened, the punishment for sin has been turned back, and now there is a free invitation to every single person that has ever lived and ever will live to enjoy eternity as they're meant to enjoy eternity with their creator. Three days changed everything. Well, Colossians chapter 3 I invite you to follow along as we read uh, from verses 12 to 17. I've entitled my sermon, uh, uh, God's Chosen Ones, which really comes right out of that very first verse. Let me just jump right in. we got a lot of things to talk about, and so we're not going to waste any more time with my remarks. We're going to come right to the Word of God. Paul wrote these words to the Colossian church, and I'm going to put the first phrase up there since that's my next slide here, so I can just read to you. Put on then, Paul wrote, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body." And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your precious, precious word. 
We receive it this morning as words from you that are instructive to us. We receive it this morning as people who are called by your name, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, our great King, our Savior. And we cry out to you to help us receive them this morning as instruction to us. Give us, give us the humility to be taught by your Holy Spirit what your word has to say to us this morning. Grant us the favor of your grace this morning, God, that we may receive it, and more than receive it, that we may bring it out in our own lives as we live together. To you deserve, to you be and you deserve all glory and honor, Father. It is yours in heaven, on earth, through all the ages of time. May it just be said this morning, God, that we are here not because we think we're somebody. Not because we have something to bring to you or to offer to you. And not because we're, we are such an important part of a church body, though that may be true. But may it be sure that we are here this morning because we need you desperately, God. And we look to you. You are our life and our sustenance. Thank you that you choose to meet with us when you are gathered in your name. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, these words, I'm guessing you've probably heard a sermon from these words before, maybe even from my own mouth. I don't know for sure. I taught through the book of Colossians for a revival meeting series one time, which is really fun. And it's really kept me, I think, I don't think I've preached through Colossians here yet on a Sunday morning. Might have to change that soon because it's one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. But it struck me as I'm preparing and, I'm, I'm, and the Lord led me to these verses actually just on Wednesday. Uh, this is really hard for me because I haven't preached for three months and I uh, was thinking about what I'm going to share. And I, to be honest, I uh, really wanted to start preparing a sermon long before I did. And I kept the, hearing the Lord tell me to wait and to wait and to wait. And finally, Wednesday was my first official day back on the job, which is halfway through the week if you're not aware of that. And I was thinking, Lord, I have to prepare a sermon sometime. And I don't even know what I'm going to say yet. I'm not even going to teach out of yet. And uh, he took care of all that because it was, it was him asking me to continue to trust in him. He brought me to this passage. Uh, I thought of this as I was listening to Joe and Rhoda on Wednesday, actually. I thought of this, these verses. And I, I'm, I'm struck by the fact that there's not a lot of definition that has to take place. You know, these words are not words that you probably have to have me explain to you, right? You know what kindness is. You know what compassion is. You know what patience is. You know what it means to not complain against people. You know what it means to forgive people. You know what the injunction or the, 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 the instruction to live in harmony with each other, you know what that means. These words don't need a lot of definition. So I don't, this morning is not so much about like cracking through the words and defining words for you and helping you see what they mean. It's to invite you into some of the things that, questions that I was asking for three months while I was driving a motorhome around out west You'll get some of them. You won't get nearly all of them. But I'm thinking as I'm reading this, why are these words have to be written? Why do these words have to be written? You notice the title of my sermon and the phrase I have on there. Paul is saying we should put on then as God's chosen ones. God's chosen people. Those who've said, I want to follow Jesus Christ. 
I'm part of God's kingdom. I'm, I, I want to honor what God is doing. I, w- I, want to, I want to follow after him. Why do these kind of words have to be written? Doesn't it just come naturally? Isn't it just like when you said, I want to follow Jesus, now suddenly you love everybody and have patience with them and, 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 and you can overlook all the things they're doing wrong. I mean, you're no longer doing wrong things, so they're no longer doing wrong things too either, right? Why do these words have to be written? I find it, I find it good. I find it good for the place of pride that we often find ourselves in. I find it good to think about the fact that Paul was instructing a church and he had to tell them, listen, church, put on then as God's chosen people, dearly and beloved, holy and beloved, put on these things, compassionate hearts, kindness, toward each other. There's still a whole lot of messiness in our living together, isn't there? You know, when you live in a motorhome with nine people for 11 weeks, you figure out that you still struggle with relationships. Because when you're frustrated with somebody, you can't just go hide at the other end of the house or go out outside in the yard. You know, as you think of your own life, unless you're unwilling to be honest, you realize that like there's still really hard stuff. There's still really ugly stuff that happens in relationships, right? You don't have to study history too long to realize that people do all kinds of really evil and nasty things to other people. And if you have any bit of honesty about it at all, you realize that even those who call themselves Christians do a lot of ugly stuff to a lot of other people. Don't they? And when I say don't they, I mean don't we. It's hard. Because we are still selfish sometimes. And we're still full of pride often. And we still want to get what we want to get. And we want to live as comfortably as we can. And we want to have our own way as often as we can. We don't like when things bump into that. I don't. And it leads me to wonder, God addresses these people as his chosen ones, and Paul has to write words like that. Now, if you would have gone back and read the passage before that to get it in context, you would see that he named a whole bunch of really ugly stuff before that. That said, put to death these things. Put off these things. To get, get rid of these kinds of things. I'm not going to read that list to you this morning, choosing to focus instead on the things he asked us to put on. But as we put on those things, we are faced with the obvious conclusion that these things are still problems for us. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had to tell us to put them on. That we still struggle to be kind to people sometimes and to have, have compassion for people sometimes. And we still struggle to forgive when we are mistreated, which still happens, even though those people that are mistreating us may call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. And I begin to think to myself, why did you do it this way, God? How could you, who is perfect and pure and right in every way, decide to work through a bunch of people who just struggle getting it right? 
such tremendous pain. That happens at the hands of people who call themselves Christians toward each other. I'm guessing some of you have some of these stories yourself, but you don't have to go very far to figure out that there's some people who carry tremendous hurts in their lives because of a thing called church. Because of people who call themselves Christians. But in the end, I realized that asking a question like, why the church, is actually the entirely wrong question. Do you know why? Because I don't get a choice about it. It's a question that doesn't have any kind of fruitful answer. One, I can't really answer it. But two, it doesn't matter. Because when you read God's word, he makes it very clear that the church does exist. Paul wrote these words to Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 22. Now, just before this, he's asked, he said, I'm praying for you, Ephesians, another church family, another church group. He said, I'm praying for you that God would work powerfully in you. And in fact, he says, I want him to work as powerfully as he did when he brought Jesus back from the grave. That's the power he's talking about. So the he is God and the his is Jesus. And he says this, and he, God, put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So if I go back to the question I asked, which I shouldn't have really asked anyway, but I asked it because it was in my head. Why the church, God? Why did you choose the church? Why did you work through imperfect people who keep a bump, making bumbling messes of things and hurting each other? Why did you do that? And the end is, the end of that, and the answer for me was, it doesn't matter. The, 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 the why, does, there's no fruitful answer out of that. Because the reality is, God said this is this is how it is. That Jesus has had, by the Father, put all things under him. He's the King of kings, Lord of lords, and he's been, all things have been put under him, and he's been given as the head of the church. And the church is Jesus' body. The church is the fullness of him, of Jesus, who fills all in all. Period. Like, there's nothing you and I can do to change that, by the way. So that's why it doesn't matter when we ask the question why. I mean, we could spend all day talking about why, but that doesn't accomplish anything because the reality is it's true. If you have called on the name of Jesus Christ and you've surrendered to him and you've said, you are the only hope I have, my salvation is found in you alone, and I want to strive to follow after you, the Bible is very clear. You are his body. You are part of the body that makes up. Listen, this is unbelievable. This is unfathomable. You are part of the body that is the fullness of the one who fills all in all. Now, you can't get more superlatives piled on top of superlatives in this kind of situation. Like, he is, like, the, like, like stay with me, right? Because this is unbelievable. This, do you see this when you look around at each other? <laughs> the church is the fullness of the body of Christ, the one who fills all in all. Again, period. It's not like there's a debate. It's not like, it's not like, there's, like there's a question of, well, maybe it's like this. Or like, you can choose to be part of that. You can choose whether you will surrender to that and become part of the body yourself or not. You know, it reminds me, this is one of the reasons, and I hope I, I don't want to get carried away. We've got a lot of ground to cover here. But it reminds me of the fallacy. Do you know what a fallacy is? 
A fallacy is wrong thinking. A fallacy is a lie. A fallacy is something that's not true. The fallacy of people thinking that they can be a follower of Jesus Christ and not participate in his body. Otherwise known as being part of a church. According to this verse, it's not possible. If you are a born-again believer, you are part of his body. You, can't, you don't get a choice in it. The choice you get is whether you will actually surrender to being obedient to Jesus or not. And becoming, participating as you're part of the body. Just a couple chapters later, can you imagine these words? Paul wrote these words about the church at Ephesus and about all churches, about the entire body of Christ. He says that God's plan, in fact, was this. That through the church, through the church, the body of Christ, the manifold or the, the, the varied or the, the all-encompassing wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. God chose the church to, make, to put himself on display. God chose the church to reveal to the heavenly powers and all the world who he is. I don't know if you ever think about things like this or think about it in this way, but the reality is if you choose to follow Christ, you may not have known this or you may not have, have consciously agreed to this, but this is what you agreed to. When you said, I want to follow Jesus, you agreed that God is going to put himself, his wisdom and who he is on display through you and not just you individually, but through the church, through the body. But you know, Something I think is necessary all the time, and you have heard me say things like this. It's really, really critical that we take things that we're learning from the Bible and not just treat them up here, when I say up here, like, like, like academically or like handheld out here, and treat them and sort of understand what it says without bringing it close to home. Because the reality is that why question, there's another why question behind that for me. Why this church? Why this local expression of God, God's community of the body of Christ? Why this church? I don't know if this is a surprise to you. I hope it's, I don't think it is. And I hope you will not become offended by what I say. You know, the first thing I did when I got back on the job, I, met, I alluded to this already, but the first thing that I did is uh, Heidi and I invited Joe and Rhoda over to our house. And they were there like all day. I mean, like literally all day. Like think of 9.30 in the morning to 9.30 at night, which was good. And we wanted to hear from them all the things that had happened the three months we were gone because we didn't know a lot of things that had happened. It was sort of a way for them to debrief and a way for them to, to be able to unload. And it was a way for me to get back up to speed. You guys went through some difficult things while I was gone. For some of you, that's a whole different statement than for others of you. I don't know how to say it, other than I'll just say it. 
You guys know you're kind of a mess, right? <laughs> no one wants me to look at them while I say that statement. The reality is it's, it's all of you. Because I heard about a few things, but <laughs> I have no doubt I could have an individual interview with every one of you. And Life is kind of a mess and it's kind of ugly and we make mistakes and we are not very kind to each other sometimes and we dishonor the name of Jesus. This is how it is. You know what? I'm like that too. You know that. I'm like that too. I discovered some things. I probably knew them, but I was ignoring them. But I discovered some things while I was driving a big old motorhome around. Like I'm really soft. You know, when you're driving across the prairie and you start seeing mountains rise and you see and you think about the fact that there were people who drove wagons across that landscape to some place. There were pioneers. And I think to myself, I, I'm a huge wuss. But it goes beyond just like physically being able to drive a wagon, which I probably couldn't do across the United States. Because it's a whole more than that, right? I've become soft. I've become too enamored with comfort. I've become too comfortable. I realized, despite all of my efforts and all the things that God has done in me, and he's done so many good things in me, I realized that there's a whole lot of arrogance that I still carry. You see, I can look at you all and tell you you're a mess because I know what I'm like, and I am too. And you need to know that. Why these people? You know, contrary to what you might think, when Joe and Rhoda began to tell us some things that happened and some very ugly things that went on here in this congregation and things you had to deal with, it did not make me want to run away and say, give me my motorhome back. It broke my heart for the things you have to walk through. It reminded me that I love you guys. And I want to do everything I can to help you follow Jesus faithfully. When I sat here last Sunday and listened to you guys sharing, I thought, I'm so glad to be back. These are people that I love. And I hope with everything I have, I desire with everything I have to help them achieve living faithfully to the one who's called them so that they can enjoy eternity with him. But you know what? This is not even about me. This is not about a guy who's coming back in and, and it's not about me because church is about Jesus. He's the head. He is the one who gets glorified. And you know what I think of when I think of all the mess that's going on in your guys' lives and all the relationships that are hard and all the fights that happen and all the things that, 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 that tug us away and all the sin that comes out and all the things we struggle with and all the, the things we... By the way, there was joys too. There's some good things. I, I, sh I shouldn't be so negative. There's really good things too. Triumphs and things drawing close. But all of that is because of Jesus. And when I think of why I should do that, why I should continue to expend myself, you know, it's difficult. It's really, really difficult. 
I saw that on Joe and Rhoda's face as I sat there. And honestly, that hurt me. That burdened me to realize that somebody stepped in and served so faithfully for three months and were loaded with all kinds of things. It's not easy to shepherd and pastor people. It's not easy to be in leadership. You all know that. But it's really true. People have strong opinions about this. And people feel very strong about that. And sometimes the this and the that are the very same things, only they're over here. It's true. It's true. But I think to myself, why would I expend myself? Why would I give all this energy? Why would I let my schedule be sucked away? It was glorious being with my family 24-7 for, 11, for 12 weeks. It was amazing. And it's going to be hard to let go of that. Why would I do that? You know, the first and foremost thing that comes to my mind is because Jesus thought that you were worth it. He thought you were worth it and that he's not done with you yet. He continues to want to pour out his grace in your life. And if he thinks you're worth it and he thinks you're not done yet, then how dare I think otherwise? Honestly, in the end, I don't really have a choice. I'm sure I actually do, but... I, it doesn't feel like I do. I don't have a choice. Because if I am going to at all be honest about following after Jesus, who's my Lord and Savior, and he is not giving up on you, or he's not, not whatever, he doesn't run away from the problems, then, then I can't either. Now, that's probably pretty heavy. That's maybe not the message you expected to get when you come back, when I come back. But if anything... <laughs> I'm doubling down my commitment to being honest to you, with you guys. I think you deserve it. Nobody's helped when we wash things down and pretend they don't exist. But I'd like to end my message by going back to the Colossians 3 verse, or chapter verses that we read. There's a verse right in the middle of that that I think is a good summary, and I'm going to use it to springboard off for my ending here. In the middle of those encouragements to do things that are difficult for us who still carry some flesh around, though we have said we die to it and we want to continue dying to it, and we grow in that dying to it. We make leaps and bounds and improvements, and we become more like Christ, but we still carry some flesh with us. I think we will till the day we get called home or Jesus comes back. But he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And I think there's a, there's, a, there's a key, there's a linchpin here. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. You see, there's a reflection there. There's, a, there's, a, there's an acknowledgement there that we're part of one body. You're not gonna change that. You're not gonna change that. If you call yourself a Christian and you call yourself a Christian, and I'm just indiscriminately pointing at two people here, but if you guys call yourselves Christians, you are part of the same body. You don't get a choice. So the sooner we get past that, the better off we are. You don't get a choice. You're part of the same body. And knowing that, then, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That comes down to the question of, do I trust Jesus? Do I trust God? Do I trust in his sovereignty? Do I trust in his ability to help me overcome my issues? Do I trust in his ability to help other people overcome their struggles as well? Am I willing to be used by God to do exactly that? Am I willing for God to use other people to do that in my life? Did, was God aware that somebody that I thought really followed Jesus said something really mean about me? Because that hurt. Or treated me a certain way 
or somebody that I was counting on let me down, or somebody, just all kinds of things that happened. Was God aware of that? Can I let the peace of Christ rule in my heart, or do I have to wring my hands? Because I'm telling you, when we're wringing our hands and the peace of Christ is not ruling, then we're not compassionate, and we're not kind or tenderhearted, and we're not forgiving people, and we're not singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to each other as we teach and admonish each other. We're not doing all things to the glory of God and with joy in our hearts and thanksgiving. We're not doing any of those things. You know, on the outside of this, this verse right here, there's a little two-word phrase that shows up twice in these, past, in these verses. Let me just read them for you. In verse 13, it says, we should bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. And in verse 16, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Two little words, one another. One another. Now, I did this in the ESV, so you may find some different results if you have a different translation, but I looked up that phrase. I, I, I searched just for those two words to be together, one another. They show up over 100 times in the New Testament. Over 100 times in the New Testament. Now, some of them aren't going to apply to what I say this morning, especially when you're in the Gospels and it's a historical account and they say things like they looked at one another or they talked with one another or did things like that. That's just a phrase. I mean, it can be instructive, but it's just a phrase. But particularly when we come to the New Testament letters that are instructions for how the church is to be the church, this phrase, one another, shows up. I, I think it was still 70 sometimes. You'll be happy that I boiled it down to only 30 or 35 that I'm going to read for you this morning. But my point is this. If we have made certain that God has, by His choice and His design made the body of Christ to be his vehicle for growing those people in the body and bringing more people in the body and has made it his design that he will put his manifold wisdom on display to the rulers and authorities in all kinds of places and the entire world, in fact, through the church and that when we have become part of Jesus, we're part of the church, part of one body. If we've made sure that that's how it's supposed to be, and we've realized that we haven't, don't have it all together, but we're here for each other, then I think the question is, what is the church supposed to look like? And honestly, you all know that answer already. I'm just going to be up front with you. I don't think I'm going to read a single verse that any of you are going to go, oh, I didn't know that. Which really means it comes down to, hear me, it really means it comes down to, am I willing to yield to what the Bible clearly teaches is the function of the body of Christ? I did this on a piece of paper, so I don't have to keep looking up. I'm going to put every verse up on the screen. If you want this piece of paper afterwards, I can email it to you. There's some verses I didn't cover they're somewhat in order based on kind of how, I'm, how my thoughts were running, but there's not much of an order to them. And um, I'm going to try not to make a lot of commentary about each verse because I want you to hear the force of the scriptures, which are far more important than my commentary anyway. We'll start in Romans since it's kind of the first book of the letters. Love one another with a brotherly love. I'm sorry. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, 
welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. There's another one from Romans I want to read, and I'm going to just make a comment that some of these are going to come in the form of do not, things you are not to do. You'll see. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Just a few verses later, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Peter wrote, similarly, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. But God has so composed the body, given greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I myself am satisfied about you, brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But before you get too self-important about the roles that each of us play, Paul wrote these words in Ephesians 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And a few verses later, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves 
all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes, opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Or if you want to get a whole lot more direct and straightforward, Paul said it this way in Ephesians. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When you read John's letters, he has a, a lot of these phrases. Actually, I, I left a lot of them out from the letters of John, especially 1 John. But I want to include four of them for reference to kind of chain this through as we close this out. John says, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And as if we didn't get it from that, he says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. And I can't help but pause for a moment just to make sure you catch that in John's understanding of things, it was as important to him that we love one another as it was that we believe in Jesus. Because he's so exactly what he says. He says, beloved, let us, sorry, this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. You see, we sometimes or often or most times separate those a bit, right? Like salvation is based on believing in Jesus, which is also important. But the other stuff kind of falls below. And maybe loving one another is, you know, sometimes people are not very lovable. So, And John says, this is the commandment you've received. First, that you believe in Jesus, and second, that you love one another. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You see a recurring theme that continues to drive us to the unavoidable conclusion. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Sorry, I can't, I, I, I can't move past that. I can't move past that. The Bible says that no one has ever seen God. So if you want to make God visible, how is that going to happen? He just says it right here. The way it happens is if we love one another, then God abides, he dwells, he lives in us, and his love is perfecting us. And the implication is very clear. Then God is put on display. Above all, this is so vital for us, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. You see what I mean? It's not a question of is the Bible clear in what it looks like to be the church or what the church is supposed to do. It's not like we have to struggle and scratch our heads and, man, if it just be less vague about how we're supposed to behave. The question is, are we going to submit to that? Are we going to yield to that? Are we going to surrender to that? Are we going to agree with God that that's what he wants? That's what he expects 
of us? And are we going to be willing to look around at the people that we go to church with in week in, week out? The people that are very imperfect, just like we are, and that make mistakes and don't always think the same way we do, and also don't do the things the way we do, and also sometimes, in fact, are just kind of unkind. Are we going to look at them and say, but this is what I'm supposed to do? We're supposed to one another each other. This is what I signed up for. This is what I signed up for. So that we hear Paul's instructions back in Colossians chapter 3. Just read them for you again. Put on then as God's chosen ones. You're here this morning. You've chosen to follow Jesus. You are God's chosen one, holy and beloved. Put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thank you, Father, again for your word. And I'm again brought to a place for me as well as for the congregation of which I stand before this morning. Your word is clear. Your word is repetitive. You have made it abundantly obvious that there's a task for those who are called the body, the church of Jesus, the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. It, there's a task for those, and it's not all-encompassing. We didn't touch everything maybe this morning, but there's a, there's a major overarching task for all of us, and that is the one another kinds of things that are to happen within the body. And I thank you this morning. I thank you this morning, God. I thank you for the break that I was able to receive personally, that my family was able to receive. But I thank you, God, for this body here at Riverview. I thank you that you have blessed me in such an, an, an amazing way to call me to serve here among these people. Oh, they have been such a blessing to me, and not just in these three months, and not just in the good things, for all kinds of good things have come, but even in the middle of difficult things, I've seen people who over and over have demonstrated a willingness to buckle down and say, oh, this is hard, but this is what Jesus wants of me. And I pray that your grace would abound, that we might continue, for we are not there yet. We are not there yet. Jesus, you have called us to a higher ground. You've called us to a deeper walk with you. You have, yet, you have yet places for us to walk into that demonstrate the humility with which you yourself came. The obedience with which you yourself offered to your Father. Which opened the door for his glory and his power to work. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, as leader and head of this church, of the church and globally, but of this church, that you have not given up on me and on us. Thank you. We know this work is great. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> this is like such an obvious thing, God. And yet it's important that I say it and that we agree, that we, we all say <laughs> We take a lot of your grace, God. 
We continue to be selfish sometimes and continue to blunder our way through. But we continue to press on because we want to we want to let you work in us in greater ways so that we don't have to go back to those places for we believe that we have died to ourselves. We have chosen to lay down the past life. We have recognized that the gospel that Jesus brought forth, the, the victory that he won is one that enables us to walk in freedom, not as, as slaves. So we together, I and we together want to look to you to say, we don't want to be slaves anymore. We want to walk in freedom. We want to have the fruit of the Spirit as we look and act with each other, as we treat each other in ways that you have asked us to do, as we want another, each other. Thank you that you've made this possible. All the glory goes to you. All the credit goes, all the good things that happen come from you, God. And we give you praise and glory. We ask you to continue to do it. Use us more. Shape us more. Revive us more. In Jesus' name, amen.